Hello, and welcome, everyone, into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, a show celebrating the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, in the aftermath of the Clone Wars, Emperor Palpatine has ushered in an era of peace and order throughout the galaxy. Peace through fear. And to maintain that order is the Emperor's new weapon, a mysterious cloaked being in a black mask. It's Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Luceno. No listener question this episode, but we did get some Legends news this week. The third wave of Lucasfilm's Essential Legends collection was announced, and we have some doozies. Dynasty of Evil by Drew Karpishin wraps up the Darth Bane trilogy. Book two of Michael Stackpole's Rogue Squadron series wedges Gamble. And then two of the most popular one-off books from the Legends line, Kenobi by John Jackson Miller and Darth Plagueis by James Luceno. If you haven't seen the announcement, check it out online. Once again, they've knocked it out of the park with the cover art for these reissues. Look forward to the third wave of the Essential Legends collection to be released April 5th, 2022. Now before we start, if you have a question or a message you'd like me to answer on the podcast, please contact the show. You can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Now it's time for today's book, Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Luceno. Grab a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story is divided into four parts and begins immediately after the end of the Clone Wars. Part one takes place on the outer rim world of Murkana. The Jedi Rhone Shrine and Bol Chatak, along with Chatak's Padawan Oli Starstone, lead a clone commando strike team into the planet's capital. Their objective? Knock out the Separatist shield generator, opening the city for Republic airstrikes. When the dropships land outside the city, the Jedi meet up with Ion Squad, led by squad leader Clymer. Clymer briefs the Jedi and clone commander Salvo on how the fighting is going and the location of the bunker housing the shield generator. The Jedi and Ion Squad battle their way into the bunker, with Shrine and Climber leading the way. When the group arrives at the generator, Shrine orders the clones to set their thermal charges, while he, Chatak, and Starstone run ahead to clear the escape route. As Ion Squad sets the charges, Climber receives a transmission from Commander Salvo. Kill the Jedi. The clone commandos are setting up an ambush for the Jedi, and Salvo orders Ion Squad to join them after blowing the generator. Clymer agrees to follow the plan, but he and the other members of Ion Squad are conflicted. They fought alongside the Jedi for three years, and don't want to attack them. Up ahead, the three Jedi clear the route to the rendezvous point. When they arrive, Shrine and Chatak sense the ambush. The Jedi hit the ground as a number of electrical explosions hit the area. The ambushing clones fall, immobilized in their armor, as Clymer and Ion Squad emerge from the surrounding buildings. Shrine asks Clymer what's happening, and the clone tells the Jedi about the orders to eliminate them. Clymer has two of his squad escort Salvo forward and tell the Jedi about the orders. When Shrine asks where the orders came from, 
the clone commander tells the Jedi it originated from the highest level of the Republic military. Shrine continues to question Salvo when more dropships begin descending on the city, filled with clone reinforcements. Climber tells the Jedi he'll give them a head start, but when the other clones arrive, the hunt is on. Shrine, Chatak, and Starstone run through the city, ducking through alleyways and hiding behind buildings. Nothing makes sense. Why are the clones attacking the Jedi? And who ordered the execution? As they continue evading the clones, Starstone tries to call the Jedi that were leading attacks in other cities on Markana. But no one answers her calm, and there's no static. They've been killed, Shrine says. The Jedi take refuge in a warehouse for the night as they try to plan the next move. As they rest, Starstone's comlink chimes. It's a message calling all Jedi back to the temple on Coruscant. The next day, the Jedi head for the city landing platforms, evading some clone troops but having to fight others. Eventually, they reach the platform and set their sights on a Republic bomber. Just as the Jedi advance on the ship, Shrine's comlink starts to vibrate. It's another message from the Jedi Temple. Stunned, Shrine turns to Chatak and Starstone. The Jedi have been ordered to avoid Coruscant at all costs, Shrine says. We're to abandon our missions and go into hiding. Quickly, clone troopers surround the Jedi in the middle of the landing platform. The three surrender, dropping their comlinks and their lightsabers into the water surrounding the platform. Part 2 begins a month later. The Galactic Empire has fully replaced the Republic, and Emperor Palpatine's new black-clad emissary, Darth Vader, is sent to Mercana to investigate reports about clones refusing Order 66. After suffering his injuries on Mustafar and being left for dead by his former master, Vader owes Darth Sidious his life. But he can't stop thinking that Sidious designed the suit purposely to be uncomfortable to frustrate him, to taunt him, to remind Vader of how freely he once moved when he was a Jedi and how he'll never move that freely again. Palpatine orders Vader to deal with the insolent clones, calling them a contagion, contaminated by fighting alongside the Jedi. Vader asks if that means that it's possible some Jedi did survive the extermination order. But Palpatine is nonchalant. The important thing, he says is to deal with the clones, to show the galaxy that Palpatine's order is law. But if Vader should happen to come across any Jedi, the Emperor gives him permission to eliminate them. On Mercana, the Jedi are being held prisoners with a group of Separatist mercenaries and native fighters. The prisoners watch a shuttle land near the camp and a tall, black figure descend the ramp. Lord Vader... Commander Salvo identifies the figure and motions for Clymer and Ion Squad to be brought forward. Clymer says they disobeyed the order to kill the Jedi because they believed it was a Separatist trick. Vader ignites his red lightsaber and sentences the four clones to death. The scene stuns Shrine, but Chatak calls out Vader. She ignites her lightsaber, one that she must have hidden when the Jedi surrendered a month ago. Shrine watches as Chatak and Vader clash. Chatak moves with speed and athleticism. Vader is powerful, but clumsy. Stiff. The two circle one another, and Shrine soon loses sight of them as prisoners gather around. There's a scream, and Shrine pushes through the crowd. 
he sees Chatak on her knees, her sword hand amputated at the elbow. Slowly, Vader steps in front of Chatak and with one quick slash of his lightsaber, decapitates her. Vader orders the prisoners loaded for transport to the prison world of Aegon 9. As the line slowly enters the transport, Shrine tells Starstone now is their chance to escape. The two Jedi lag behind to the back of the line. As they approach the ship's ramp, Shrine uses the Force to influence the two clone guards, convincing them the Jedi aren't prisoners and to let them go. Shrine and Starstone leap off the ramp and flee into the woods behind the landing pad. The two Jedi make their way to the hideout of Cash Garulin, a local smuggler and one of Shrine's contacts on Morkana. Cash is closing up shop, ordering his crew to load up all the merchandise and contraband they have. Shrine negotiates with Cash for transport off-world. Promising to pay the smuggler with secret funds once they reach a safe haven, Garulin agrees to hide the Jedi, tricking the Imperials by flying one shuttle through the blockade while hiding Shrine and Starstone on a small cloak shape. The small ship docks with a hyperspace docking ring and jumps to light speed. Shrine and Starstone find transport on a freighter named the Drunk Dancer. The captain of the crew is a woman named Jula, who reveals herself to be Shrine's mother. Jula tells Shrine that her husband gave him up to the Jedi when he was just a baby, against her wishes. It tore their marriage apart. But now that the Republic has fallen and the Jedi have been destroyed, Jula says she and Shrine have a chance to get to know one another, if he agrees to join her crew. Shrine says he'll think about it, but first he needs to talk to Starstone about what the former Padawan intends to do now that the war is over. Using the ship's comm station, Starstone broadcasts a message throughout the Outer Rim, searching for other Jedi. And she gets a hit from the planet Mosak. Starstone pleads for Shrine to accompany her, but the Jedi refuses. He asks Starstone to think about what that final message from the temple said that the Jedi needed to flee and go into hiding. But the former Padawan is indignant. In her mind, if there are any surviving Jedi out there, they need to band together in hopes of defeating Vader and to bring Palpatine to justice. She tells Shrine he needs to remember his Jedi oaths, but again, Shrine refuses. Meanwhile, the drunk dancer arrives at the rendezvous point only to discover the ship housing the Jedi refugees under Imperial attack. A firefight ensues, with the freighter providing cover for the Jedi transport while trying to keep Imperial fighters off their tails. Jula proposes a risky maneuver. Clear the freighter's landing bay so the transport can fly straight into the cargo hold. Both ships sustain considerable damage, but the plan works. With the transport safely on board, Jula orders the jump to hyperspace. Part 3 begins on Coruscant. Emperor Palpatine orders Vader to arrest Senator Fang Zar on Alderaan and bring him back for questioning. Zar was one of 2,000 senators that signed a petition requesting that Palpatine now fulfill his promise and relinquish the powers the Senate granted him at the beginning of the war. Imperial security had ordered Zar to remain on Coruscant for continued questioning, but the senator escaped and fled to Alderaan where he's hiding out at the royal palace. 
Imperial intelligence shows Tsar contacted a smuggler from Morkana named Kash Garulin. A connection, Palpatine thinks, with Vader's fugitive Jedi. On the Drunk Dancer, Shrine and Starstone meet with the six refugee Jedi who tell a familiar story. The clone troops they were fighting alongside suddenly turned their weapons on the Jedi and tried to kill them. Starstone says she wants to try to find others who might be out there. But Shrine reiterates, the last message told the Jedi to scatter and to go into hiding. But Starstone and the other Jedi disagree. They want to find others and bring Palpatine to justice. When they emerge from hyperspace, Shrine bids Starstone and the Jedi good luck. He is going to stay on the Drunk Dancer while the Jedi leave on their transport. For Shrine's first mission, Jula tells her son that Senator Fang Zar needs transportation from Alderaan to his homeworld of CERN Prime. The catch? There are crowds of protesters throughout the city, and Zar doesn't want to put Senator Bail Organa or Queen Briha in any difficult political situation. When Shrine and his team land in Aldera City, they find the palace surrounded by protesters, calling for Bail Organa to be held responsible for not making sure Palpatine stepped down after the end of the war. Shrine's team sneaks into the lower level of the palace and makes its way to the residence. As they search for Fang Zar, an Imperial shuttle lands outside the palace gates. Vader and members of his 501st march through the crowd and advance to the palace control room, confronting Bail Organa. Vader demands Organa hand Senator Zar over into his custody. Bail cannot believe what's happening. Vader, the name Obi-Wan Kenobi told him Anakin Skywalker took when he turned to the dark side. But Anakin was supposed to have died on Mustafar, hadn't he? Could Skywalker have actually survived? And what about Leia? If this really was Anakin, would he be able to sense who Bail and the Queen's new daughter really is? Luckily for Bail, the palace cameras show Fang Zar leaving with three unknown individuals toward the east exit. Vader pursues the group, surprising them just as they leave the palace. When he ignites his red lightsaber, Shrine pulls a blaster, shouting for the others to run to the landing pad. Shrine fires at Vader, trying to slow the Dark Lord down. But the black-clad figure continues to advance, deflecting the bolts back where they came from. Only his Jedi reflexes allow Shrine to dodge. Abandoning his delay tactics, Shrine turns and chases after the others as they sprint to the Drunk Dancer. Force leaping over the crowd and up the rampart, Vader closes the gap as the fugitives close in on the transport. Jula lowers the ramp and beckons Zar and her crew to hurry on board. Drawing on his rage, Vader heaves the lightsaber at the smugglers. Shrine tries to use the force to stop the spinning blade, but he can't. He watches in horror as Vader's lightsaber flies over his head, slices through Fang Zar, and slashes Jula. Shrine and his crew drag the bodies on board as the drug dancer lifts off. The smugglers escape, but Senator Fang Zar is dead. When Vader reports back to Sidious, the Dark Lord of the Sith is not pleased. Why did Vader simply not apprehend Fang Zar like he was ordered? Sidious challenges Vader, asking his apprentice if Vader believes he can strike down the Dark Lord and rule the Empire. 
Vader blanches, telling Sidious he's just an apprentice. There's still so much about the dark side of the Force he doesn't know. Vader needs Sidious. His master is his path to power. Good, says Sidious. Now Vader understands the role of the Sith. Sidious orders Vader to hunt down the remaining Jedi. But where? To Kashyyyk, says the Dark Lord. The Jedi are hiding with the Wookiees. In part four of the story, Starstone and the six fugitive Jedi meet a human merchant on Kashyyyk named Cudgel. The merchant takes the Jedi to meet War Chief Tarful and his friend Chewbacca. When Starstone asks what happened to the three Jedi Masters that were on Kashyyyk, Tarful tells them that Luminara Anduli was killed in the battle, and Quinlan Vos was presumed killed by a Separatist tank. But Master Yoda escaped when the clones turned. Tarful says he and Chewbacca took Yoda to an evacuation pod. The last they saw of the small Jedi Master, the pod lifted off into space. They don't know what happened to Yoda, but Wookiee Senator Yarua had heard rumors that the Jedi Master led an attack on Palpatine in the Senate. The rumor on Coruscant is that Yoda is dead. But just then, there's a sound overhead. An Imperial troop transport descends into the trees. The Empire has found them. In orbit above the planet, Vader meets with Grand Moff Tarkin on the Moff's Star Destroyer. Vader tells Tarkin about his mission to destroy the Jedi on the planet. Tarkin sees this as an opportunity. While Vader handles the Jedi, the Imperials will deal with the Wookiees. Tarkin needs skilled laborers for the Emperor's weapons project. Tarkin says the Empire will pound the Wookiees into submission, capturing as many as they can to work on the Death Star project. Vader agrees to Tarkin's plan and heads down to the surface. The Dark Lord confronts the Jedi in the Wookiee city of Kachiro. The seven fugitives face off with the cyborg on one of the city's huge landing pads. Two of the Jedi charge Vader, but the Sith dispatches them quickly, beheading them. Two more charge, but Vader takes one's arm and the other's leg. Now, standing in front of Starstone, Vader attacks, driving the Padawan back. Starstone knows she's no match for Vader. He can kill her whenever he wants. But just then, Shrine drops into the landing pad, igniting his blade. Run, he tells Starstone. I'll handle Vader. Starstone and the Wookiees help the wounded onto their transport as Shrine advances. He's a Jedi again. The transport lifts off as more and more Imperial troops arrive. The fighting is fierce, but the Wookiees are soon pushed back. As the transport leaves the atmosphere, Starstone looks down in dismay. Kashyyyk is on fire, and it's all because of her. Shrine and Vader continue their duel, leaving the landing pad for the interior apartments of one of the humongous worship trees. Shrine uses his Jedi reflexes and athleticism to evade and dance around the Dark Lord, but Vader just keeps advancing, using his brute strength and power to start wearing down Shrine. Then, Vader stops, tipping his blade toward the floor. Confused, Shrine feels Vader calling on the dark side of the Force. Suddenly, objects from around the room begin bombarding Shrine. The Jedi tries to evade debris, dodging and slicing, moving and blocking, but he can't evade everything. 
Eventually, a piece of one of the walkways hits him in the leg. Another object impacts his shoulder, and another slams across his back. Shrine is dazed, and finally, Vader sends another projectile at the Jedi's head. Unable to dodge any more, Shrine is hit and tumbles off the walkway down to the floor. Exhausted and mortally wounded, Shrine asks Vader if the Sith was trained by Count Dooku or the mysterious Darth Sidious. Not by Dooku, says Vader. Not yet by Sidious. So, Palpatine is in league with Sidious, Shrine says. No, says Vader. Palpatine is Sidious. Shrine is stunned, but finally everything falls into place. The emergency powers, the war, the order to kill the Jedi, all of it was about destroying the Jedi Order and taking control of the galaxy. Did Sidious create you too? Shrine asks Vader. No, the Dark Lord says. I created myself with the help of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Disoriented, dying, Shrine looks up at Vader in confusion. Haven't you guessed yet, Jedi? Vader asks. I am Anakin Skywalker, the Chosen One. The story ends on Tatooine. Obi-Wan Kenobi sits in a cantina in Anchorhead. The former Jedi enjoys a drink, but he's not there to relax. Kenobi watches from the bar as Owen and Baru Lars examine the wares at a bazaar across the street. Baru cradles a baby in her arms. The child Kenobi is there to watch over and protect. Kenobi's attention is drawn to the bar's holonet feed. The news shows the carnage on Kashyyyk and reports a small group of Jedi were killed. A large, dark figure fills the screen. Lord Vader, the announcer says. No, it can't be. Anakin is dead. Obi-Wan killed him on Mustafar. Kenobi is gripped by a cold chill. Anakin lives? Kenobi turns back to the bazaar to keep vigil over Owen, Baru, and the child. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk a little more about Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Luceno. I'm Aaron Motes. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Heir to the Jedi tells the story of Luke Skywalker after the destruction of the first Death Star. Luke's already a phenomenal pilot, but he's a long way from mastering the Force. And now, he's been ordered to carry out a daring rescue mission. Can the burgeoning Jedi complete his mission? while still continuing to grow in the Force? Find out in Heir to the Jedi by Kevin Hearn. Welcome back into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Luceno. This book is an excellent read. As many people know, James Luceno is one of the more popular authors 
from the Star Wars Legends line of books, most especially with Darth Plagueis. But he did others as well. Labyrinth of Evil is another one of the more popular one-off Star Wars Legends books. It's almost like Luceno really enjoys writing about the Sith. And in this book, he does a really good job of writing about how Anakin Skywalker is still learning how to use the dark side of the Force to become as powerful as he can possibly be. However, as good as this book is, I am conflicted myself. Vader is my all-time favorite character in the Star Wars universe. And for me, Vader and Anakin Skywalker are two completely different characters. I'm fascinated by Vader. I've honestly never been that interested in Anakin Skywalker. I'm also a child of the original trilogy, which is where my love for Vader came from. And for me, one of the things I think George Lucas was really smart about was limiting the amount of Vader we got in the original trilogy movies. I think Vader's impact is so great because he's not used a whole lot. I believe it's a total of about 30 minutes over the first three films. And because of that, I'm always wary when Vader is used in the books, be it legends or canon. You know, I think one of the missteps so far with Star Wars publishing since Disney bought Star Wars is how much Vader content they put out there. I think they put out way too much. And for me, it lessens Vader's impact when he's when he's brought onto the page. I mean, there are, what, three different Darth Vader comic lines. There is the Lords of the Sith novel. He shows up in some of the Thrawn books, some of the newer Thrawn books, the canon Thrawn books. And when it comes to Legends, for the most part, I think they kind of took Lucas's view of using Vader sparingly. Of course, this book is one of the exceptions. Vader is one of the two main characters. And one thing for me, when Anakin Skywalker fell, it's like what Obi-Wan Kenobi said in A New Hope. Vader betrayed and murdered Anakin Skywalker. For me, once Anakin fell, he was no more. Now, I understand there was going to have to be some sort of transition period. We did see that at the very end of Revenge of the Sith, when Vader first rises off the table and asks about Padme. Obviously, there are still some remnants of Anakin in there at that time. So because of that, I am willing, in the immediate aftermath of the Clone Wars, to concede that there's going to be some sort of feeling out period for Vader. There is going to be some sort of memory of Anakin Skywalker. But again, for me, Vader just has much more of an impact when he is used very sparingly. But as far as this book goes, as I said before, Luceno does a great job of writing about the Sith. The interactions between Sidious and Vader 
are dripping with tension. You can tell Sidious wants Vader to open up more to his emotions, to let his anger and his rage fuel his access to the dark side of the Force and thus gain more power. Sidious even tells Vader a few times, if you cannot do this, then I will need to find a new apprentice. Of course, Vader knows that means he will be killed. So those scenes are some of the best in the book. While I like the characters of Shrine and Starstone and some of the other fugitive Jedi, because they are only in this book, it gives me the feeling that they're not really that important. They just happen to be the ones on this outer rim planet that are able to escape Order 66 which is another small pet peeve of mine, whether it be in Legends or Canon, the number of Jedi that seemingly escape Order 66. For me, I think it is much more impactful that we really only know that Kenobi, Yoda, Luke, Leia, and maybe only one or two others. Okay, yes, Kane and Jarrus in Rebels survived. Ahsoka Tano survived. And for those of you that play the video games, Cal Kestis survived Order 66. Okay, it's realistic that a handful will survive. I do get a little wary when we learn of more and more and more, whether it's in the Legends timeline or it's in the canon timeline. But I do like the conflict between Shrine and Starstone. It's understandable the Padawan, she's just seen her master killed by Vader. She's angry. For her, the Jedi Order was everything. So she's hoping that there are enough Jedi out there that can continue the Order. Shrine is more of a loner anyway. Of course, he's a full-fledged Jedi Knight. He's used to doing things on his own. So his point of view about listening to the last transmission from the temple is understandable. Look, we've been ordered to go into hiding. The dark side has fallen over this galaxy. We need time to regroup time to figure out how to bring down the Empire. That may take years. That might take decades. That might take centuries. It took centuries for the Sith to take over the galaxy. It might take centuries for the Jedi Order to come back. So the conflict between he and Starstone is also one of the interesting parts of the book. As you know, I don't ever say something is good or bad, but what works for me in this book is the tension between Sidious and Vader and the tension between Shrine and Starstone. And I think it works because the setting of the book is directly after the fall of the Republic. The things that don't really work for me in this book are, again, 
the number of Jedi that survive Order 66. Some of Vader's introspection, his memories of being Anakin Skywalker. I do understand there's going to be some. He's just turned. But as I said before, for me, when Vader rises, he is a completely different character. And I think that he is able to squash most of the memories of Anakin Skywalker almost immediately. One other small little thing in this book that is not my favorite is the explanation that the clones were not forced to turn. I understand why. This book was published a year after the release of Revenge of the Sith. And in the movie, there is no mention of the inhibitor chips inside the clones that make them turn on the Jedi immediately. Maybe at that time, George Lucas didn't even think about the inhibitor chips. So in this book, it's simply an order. And Clymer and Ion Squad simply refuse the order. They say, this doesn't make any sense. We're not doing it. I kind of like the explanation that the clones are forced to turn on the Jedi even when they don't want to. For those of you that have seen the Clone Wars animated show, in the last couple episodes when Order 66 happens, for me, one of the most powerful images of that show is Clone Captain Rex trying to refuse the order, but just being unable to until his inhibitor chip is removed. It's weird. The inhibitor chips, for me, make the clones like the droids that they have been fighting for three years. And I think there's something poetic in that. I don't blame Luceno. As I said, there's no mention of the inhibitor chips in Revenge of the Sith. And it is possible that Lucas hadn't even come up with that idea at that time. It could have been that the working theory in Lucasfilm is just that the clones were trained so well that whenever they were given an order, they followed it. They did not question it. So I'm not going to knock the author on that. I'm just saying that for me, because I now know about the inhibitor chips, it doesn't work. But still, I know a lot of times in my analysis, I will point out the little nitpicky things that don't quite work for me. But I think most of you know already how much I love Legends books. And this is one of the best. It is. I don't usually rank things. I don't think I would put this in my top 10 Legends novels that I've read, but it would be in that next 10 if I did rank something. It'd be somewhere between 11 and 20. A tier, let's say. It's not a tier one Legends book for me. It's a tier two. For anyone who is a fan of Darth Vader, for anyone who is a fan of Anakin Skywalker, for me, this is a must read. And I encourage anyone out there listening, if you haven't yet, pick up Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Luceno. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, it's time to wrap up. On the next episode, 
I'll be hitting another one of the legend stories that I've never read before. I believe now that means we're only about 15 away before I have read them all. Next show, it'll be Shadow Games by Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonoff, featuring one of many people's favorite Legends characters, Dash Rendar. Until then, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Ask me a question, send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.